We've all been there, justifying our creative job to mum and dad, explaining what our job is to granddad, brushing off jokes about freelancing from our mate who works in finance. But times are changing and the value of creativity is being recognised. The creative industries are the fastest growing part of the UK economy and the least likely jobs to be taken over by robots. I'm Kayleigh McLeod and this is Get A Proper Job, where I'll be talking about the issues that matter. Once there were no mass gatherings and no shows, the impact on rehearsal side of stuff fell off a cliff. The knock-on effects on the rest of the supply chain were felt almost instantly. Today we're talking about the impacts of COVID-19 on the live music industry with Bernie Plain and Lucy Squires. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we're looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the live music industry with a particular focus on festivals and on the creative businesses who supply to the industry. We're joined today by two guests to share their experience and learnings in this area. Andrew Plain, who many of you may know as Barony, is company director of Music Box Studios, a rehearsal and recording studio in Cardiff and supplier of kit. Bernie is a member of the Creative Wales Working Group for Music. And we're also joined by Lucy Squires, Head of Music for the University of South Wales, who also coordinates the annual Bite Cardiff Food Festival at Insoul Court. Lucy is a member of the Cardiff Music Board and sits on their subcommittee for education. And she's also part of the Creative Wales Working Group for Music. Welcome to both of you, hi. Hi. We're recording this remotely due to COVID-19 restrictions, so it would be really great to hear where you are, um, you know, whereabouts in, in the world, what can you see around you, what can you hear. I'm going to apologise now because there seems to be a motorbike just yeah, going up and down the street at the moment. Uh, Bernie, can you tell us exactly where you are and what you can see around you? Yeah, sure. Hi, um, I'm in my house in Canton. I've recently reopened Music Box, so I was going to do it there, but with noise and bands, that wouldn't be a good idea. Um, and around me, I've got, well, I can see my garden, some books over my shoulder. It's strange to be home at this time of the morning, I have to say. <laughs> and what about you, Lucy? I'm, again, at home as well, uh, working from, from home these last few months. I'm in Ogmore by Sea, so around me I can see little bits of the seaside. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. Yeah. I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> in July 2020, the Concert Promoters Association and a coalition of live music businesses, including artists, venues, concerts, festivals and industry figures, launched the campaign Let the Music Play to highlight the importance of the sector to the UK economy. Now the campaign promoted that in 2019, live music added 4.5 billion to the British economy and supported 210,000 jobs across the country. We know that over 400 jobs support the production of every live music performance at an arena. And in Cardiff, the Sound Diplomacy report found that live music created 70% of jobs in the music sector in the city and produced 65% of the income which is around 45.6 million pounds. Now, the UK live music industry is projected to lose at least 60% of jobs with the sector being hit hard by the collapse of live music, touring and festivals. Bernie, can you tell us a bit more about what it is that you do? And as a supplier to festivals and live music events, are you okay to share the experiences of this year and the impact that COVID-19 has had on your business? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, I've been doing it a long time and, and I've been sort of very aware that different parts of the music industry are always interconnected. But uh, when COVID struck, it, it brought that into contrast, you know. Um, once there were no mass gatherings and no shows, the impact on uh, rehearsal side of stuff, it, I mean, it fell off a cliff very quickly. Uh, and from an equipment hire point of view in relation to festivals, um, it, it wiped the whole summer out. I mean, they, you know, I've, I've written off 2020 from, a, from an equipment hire perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even thinking about, about it and any investment in that side has, has, has gone on hold as well. Um, but, but it's affected every single part, freelancers, you know, the organisers, the artists, um, you know, that my, my place would normally be full of bands rehearsing for festivals on the weekend. So it tends to get a bit more condensed in the week, getting ready for the weekends. And, uh, and then I'd be out delivering equipment everywhere on the weekends and, and none of that's, none of that's happening. So that, that, that's the sort of very immediate and kind of, you know, in my face impact really, I guess, at this, at certainly at this point in time. And did you have to take the decision to close the studios? Oh yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I'll never forget that moment. It was. It was horrible. I've never done. Never had to do that in twenty four years, and uh, it was quite sad. Uh, it was the right thing to do. It was a public health choice, and, and that was easy choice in that sense. We had a responsibility. But yeah, it was. It was busy one day, like I've you know as busy as ever, and within forty eight hours, my booking were were down ninety five percent. We we trickled on for a couple of days and just just made the decision then that it, it just wasn't worth worth doing and that kind of highlighted that interconnectedness that I that I'm that I sort of mentioned earlier really you know that if if venues are told to close or are told not to go to those places then the knock-on effects on the rest of the supply chain were felt almost instantly really. Of course thanks for sharing that with us. Lucy in terms of your role what does what does that involve and what have the impacts of the pandemic been on on the community that you work with? Well, I think, um, you know, right across many sectors, the immediate impact has been, you know, very well documented. Um, there was a crisis situation. And I think it was the speed with which it gained momentum put many of us, you know, all, well, all of us um, as a society into, in, into shock, really. Um, and we saw some great kind of resilience and, and flexibility and, and action and, and solidarity, you know, in the, in the creative community to pull together as we come out of that emergency situation into a kind of more of a, a mid-horizon to long-horizon uh, view, that's where things are becoming really worrying right now because there's still so much uncertainty regarding what the future looks like, um, which makes planning kind of multifaceted and very challenging. Of course. I mean, the State of Play Festivals UK report from 2019 stated that in, in terms of festivals, nearly two in three fans discover new artists at a festival and they go on to listen to them long after. The, you know, the lineup announcements impact music trends and half of festival goers start to listen to music from these artists before the festivals even begin. And beyond the streaming impact, festivals can attract new audiences then to gigs. So that interconnectivity that you were talking about, Bernie, um, you know, over half of festival goers are seeking out gigs for artists that they discovered at festivals. Now, because of COVID-19 restrictions, a lot of festivals didn't go ahead in the traditional way. What, Lucy, do you think are the knock-on effects of that for, for artists that we're, we're feeling right now? Well, there's a, there's a huge economic 
and cultural impacts. Um, I think it's really valuable to really recognise the, the huge contribution that the music sector makes to the economy. Um, it's estimated at around five, five billion, but it's also got a huge cultural contribution to make as well. You know, it's not just the artist, it's the whole infrastructure and supply chain that supports that artist. You know, there's a huge music ecology that operates around festivals and around the live music industry in, in order to make it function. It's not just the focus of, of the artist, it's um, all of the suppliers. Um, and they've, you know, virtually been made redundant overnight and, and struggling for survival because where there has been support there's been many freelancers that are slipping through through the gaps of of that um, with this huge kind of insecurity vulnerability and, and uncertainty about the future um, and that's why the live music industry is on red alert and currently in crisis. I mean Bernie we're talking there about the impact on the supply chain you know, what, what have you seen around that? We won't have any music tourists in, in Cardiff who we know bring a lot of money to the area. Um, and then that obviously knocks on to a number of different supply chains. What sort of experience have you found of that? Well, I think, I think uh, it was touched upon there about freelancers, but the, the, the supply chain is, it, it, there's elements of it that people don't think about. You know, obviously you've got, it's very public facing at one end. So you've got venues and, and the fest or the festivals themselves, which are on that given weekend, that is the very public facing bit. But that is the end result of an incredibly long process involving a vast number of people. I don't organise festivals. I, I, I don't um, run one or own one, but uh, I, I fit into that supply chain in my own small way. And everything from booking the bands at the very beginning and arranging you know to, to the fencing the equipment hire to the toilets i mean there were so many things and, and i'm only involved in perhaps a small part with musical equipment hire which is the bit that gets used on the on the weekend that, that it's actually happening but um the whole build process of these things and it's not just festivals in fields with big stages that need to, you, know, you need to build a town in a field for a weekend. It's, it's multi-venue festivals as well in the city, which obviously attract those tourists that you mentioned. It's everything from individuals to much, much larger companies that do much bigger infrastructure stuff. Next year's festival season would, st would start to be planned now. You know, that, that's how long we're talking about in terms of lead up time. So it, it, it's not just losing the, the, the event itself when it's happening on that given weekend it's you're losing a whole you know year's worth of preparation uh, and, it, and it is worrying and, and uh, it is in crisis you know it is a red alert very much so for the whole supply chain. Of course. Lucy you sit on the Cardiff Music Board and what sort of discussions are, are is that group having and, and what are they calling for at this time? Overall, the Cardiff Music Board is calling for clarity for guidance that's sector specific for live music. You know, at the moment, there's cultural guidance, but it really needs to be more drilled down for the live music sector. It's commonly known that this is going to be one of the last sectors to, to reopen for obvious reasons, mass gatherings. But so far, we've seen pubs and sporting activities kind of getting more attention and, and being addressed and being encouraged to reopen and um, the live music sector in, in many senses is kind of currently in no man's land uh, with a number of 
huge obstacles. So Cardiff Council is looking at how it can safely reopen Cardiff. So there's activity in and around the castle. And as soon as you know, live music can become a part of that, uh, the council is passionate about enabling that to happen. So even on a small scale at the moment, it's looking at redefining some of the busking laws um, and just, you know, everything and anything that, that can be done, albeit safely. That's fantastic to hear that. Bernie, in terms of the Creative Wales Working Group for Music, are those similar discussions that are being had? Yeah, very much so. Um, we've been feeding in our own experiences to hopefully help shape what a reopening might might look like. Um, but obviously, we're, we're an incredibly fluid situation that the, the, the pandemic itself the virus itself is you know the, the numbers change every day and it, it, it does feel like we've got a, a square peg and a, and a sort of a hole that's changing shape all of the time it can be quite difficult to sort of find a way but um there've been, there've been some excellent sort of leading lights uh, during this with, with things like the music venues trust which which um did the revs document which is to reopen every venue safely and that's a wonderful piece and a sort of something that any other part of the industry should should definitely take a look at but but you're absolutely right about that we were the first industry to sort of be told can't happen and we will be the last to come back there's no question about that how that's supported in this in that no man's land you referred to is is the important bit right now whilst also trying to simultaneously plan for how it looks when People are told, or we are told, it's safe to, to somehow go back, and 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 how economically viable that is as well, because that that's quite an important bit. It's, it would be all well and good for the government to say, "Oh, you can all have a gathering to a reduced capacity," but but the economics of that for almost everybody. I mean, I don't know anything that can just operate on thirty percent, fifty percent of capacity. I, I just don't, I just don't really see how that that would be sustainable. You know. Um, but anything that, that, that can help bring live music back, or at least attempt to, is going to be a good thing at this point in time, you know. For sure. And we talked earlier about, you know, resilience and, and collaboration. And, and there you've just mentioned sort of the connectivity of, of lots of networks getting together to, to impact change. Bernie, I think you've been, you've been thinking a lot recently about networks, haven't you? And, and maybe exploring that for, for your part of the industry? Yeah, it was a strange one because a friend of mine who runs a rehearsal studio in London, uh, uh, we started chatting on WhatsApp at the beginning of this in a kind of, ah, what's going on kind of way. And then um, we had a Zoom chat and there was myself and him and one other studio. And and so then we decided to set up an association of our own because there, there was very little representation for, for studios. And, you know, government can roll out guidelines for pubs and restaurants because obviously there's tens of thousands of those, but they're not going to do it for studios, they, they, it's too niche in that sense. So um, we, we'd looked at the work that the Music Venues Trust had done uh, and realised that probably for every grassroots music venue, there's probably a, an equivalent recording or rehearsal studio in terms of number. Uh, and the lobbying that they've managed to do has been phenomenal. And the Let, Mu- Let Music Play thing as well. So we, we created an association of independent rehearsal and recording studios between three of us. And in the last several weeks, it's it's kind of grown and we've recently completed our constitution for the association. Uh, our membership's up to about 40 odd studios now uh, and it's growing all of the time. And, and we're kind of aware that it's possible that 
you know, the music venues trust already existed when COVID started. So it, although you couldn't have predicted it, it, it had hit the ground running a little bit. Whereas obviously we might not be able to react quite in the same way to COVID, but there'll always be another crisis for the industry. There always is. It'll be a banking crash or a, I don't know, an Icelandic volcano or something. And, and we'll have to respond. And, and it would be nice to have something in place that represents a very, very important part of the supply chain, not just for festivals or for venues, but very much for the artists, because we're all, we're all very much a hub, a community hub for, for artists within our cities all over the UK. Um, so yeah, that, that's something that's very sort of positive that's come out so far as it's galvanized a lot of businesses that would otherwise be at their own little bit of the coal face chipping away. But now that we've had a little bit of time to, to sort of galvanize that together and put it into something that hopefully can move forward. Does sound like a positive to have come out of all of this and we've of course we've referenced let the music play red alert we make events you know all these campaigns bringing the music sector together uh, to advocate for the, the very important work that they do lucy do you see any other opportunities or positives that have come out of, of this really difficult year leading on from what bernie was saying i think it's a time to kind of reflect uh as an opportunity to reshape the music industry uh in terms of the crises uh that bernie was talking about you know in the future without doubt but if we look to the past the music industry was extremely disrupted by the digital um, where the physical products um, ceased to be the consumption of choice uh, and music kind of got free. So where artists were monetizing from their recorded products, they were relying on live for their income. So, you know, where it used to be that you would do a live concert to sell your live recording, in the last 10 years, you've been using your live recording to encourage people to buy tickets to go to your gigs. Um, and so it's completely kind of changed around with many artists garnering up to 70% from, from their live appearances, which is obviously now uh, a whole new landscape to be readdressed, which takes us back to the recorded product and how that money's been distributed um, and the very low incomes that songwriters and um, recording artists are earning from, from streaming and from the sale of their recorded product. Uh, and there's been some fantastic work with the, the government's culture committee to highlight this and a call for um, an investigation and a review of how the recorded music income is being distributed in, in the industry because you know we need to, to make sure that that's working to sustain our industry. So it's time to refocus, refocus on that. So that's one thing, but in terms of opportunities, um, the music industry is always at the forefront of technology. Uh, so there's some very exciting practice going forward in terms of virtual events. And in that sense, I think we need to think about the next generation of festival goers and, and our 10 year olds now that are in Xbox uh, and they're enjoying you know, Travis Scott uh, gigs with Fortnite and those platforms and, and those collaborations with, with other industries and other sectors and what the opportunities are there going forward and what the appetites are. I think it's very hard to change kind of consumer behavior patterns you know people that want the contact and the physical that's what live music is all about it's not going to go virtual and you're not going to transform those customers that have enjoyed it in those ways but there are markets and opportunities there 
to be explored. I mean, one very quick example that I'd give you is um, the festival that's went ahead recently by Lost Horizons, which they run the Shangri-La area in, in Glastonbury every year. They integrated VR into their festival, so it's got a sense of live. So, you know, yes, let's be doing virtual things, but it has to have a sense of live. That could just be a good old-fashioned chat room, a live WhatsApp group, um, but it could be VR headsets, which is what it was the case with Lost Horizons. And, you know, you were able to interact with your artists. Artists have got avatars. There's a huge amount of possibilities. Yeah, I think you're right. There's so much potential crossover there with other creative industries to to make new experiences. Um, not that replace live, but perhaps en enhance it in some way. Bernie, do you do you think that we'll see a, a sort of blended approach in a post-COVID world? You know, between um, live and, and online. I, I really do. One thing that was very apparent right at the beginning of the crisis was how artists had to sort of ramp up their technological knowledge of, of broadcasting online very, very quickly, even if it was just a Facebook Live thing, but everyone was buying uh, new bits of kit or GoPros or whatever it might be, just so they could keep contact moving forward. And I think scaling that out down the line to, to festivals, I mean, Tavoil showed uh, in the summer that that was doable live, but I think that blended approach is, is the way that, that it can go and, and Lucy's absolutely right there's there's a lot that could be said about all of the different combinations of, of technology and traditional things I mean people have gone and watched entertainment in mass gatherings for thousands of years Covid won't change that the experience of going to something live isn't just about watching the artist that you've gone to see it might be that the person you're there with having a drink with it's the thing that you do together and, and there's the whole bit of the build up to it and and the talking about it afterwards that that, that comes with it so it, it wouldn't nothing's going to replace the other that, that live thing and packing people into a into a field or into a hot room there is an element of that it will have to try and go back to what it was like but I think supplementing that or having an extra experience, for example, of a festival where if you can't attend and you're not one of the lucky ticket goers, you can have a virtual experience and whether that's paid or whether that's free is a separate thing. But I think that blended approach is, is yeah, I think it's, it's kind of that, that could be a positive thing to come out of it. And that would be something that uh, I can imagine many, many people are going to be exploring for next year's festival season for sure. And that many audiences would be interested in. Yeah, well. absolutely. And the artists as well, you know, that they're going to want to experience that. But, but Lucy touched upon something about the, the sort of the spread of money and, and the, the fairness of distribution. And uh, that, that is something that um, I hope this time that we've got at the moment where there isn't an income from live, which is relied on so much. I, I mean, I play in bands. I, I know what that's like, although I don't rely on it as an income as such anymore. But uh, yeah, that seriously needs to be addressed. And there are a couple of things that I'm aware of in, in the pipeline that, looked at, that are going to look to level the playing field in that regard. Uh, too much to go into here, but, but yeah, there, there, there are definitely a couple of tech-related things that I think are going to look to highlight this as well as whatever government uh, you know, inquiries are going to go on. But um, separately to that, that, that hopefully try and get that balance right because when you've got the CEO of Spotify telling artists that if they want to survive they're going to have to churn out more than an album every three years as he recently said in an interview he clearly doesn't understand this isn't just a farm you're not just farming people to produce 
content. This is not, that's not how it works. It's not how creative people work. Yes, they're aware they've got to keep their content flow going in a way that they perhaps might not have had to have done in the past, but it's not just about supplying stuff for Spotify to get a tiny share of it. And, and I think um, there's going to be some things brewing that I think are going to try and challenge that and, uh, and really ta- tackle that head on. We look forward to hearing more about those initiatives as they develop. Um, I just want to touch on this Fest ticket survey from uh, May, which said that 82% of festival goers would feel confident to return to live events within one to six months of lockdown being lifted. Lucy, do you think this will be the case? Are you seeing what, what is working here and isn't working in terms of people going back well, I to think, I think there's I think there's some, you know, if we stick to the facts, uh, you know, we've talked a lot this morning about the uncertainties, but the facts are, you know, that people uh, are inherently, you know, driven as, as humans to come together to make connections and music is a very big part of that, of our culture. And that's why we're seeing huge illegal raves happening now. You know, people are always going to want to, enjoy music and, and go out and, and dance all night um, and that's happening outside of uh, government restrictions at the moment which is a huge concern. The other facts is that people that have bought tickets for festivals haven't cashed them in for refunds so I was speaking to Nick Saunders who's um, you know, depot in the park he said that He'd sold all of the tickets for this year, um, some 12,000 tickets, and only 5% of them had asked for refunds. And it's the same for very, uh, for very many festivals and small festivals. There's a huge amount of loyalty and solidarity because people are holding on to that ticket because they cannot wait to go uh, whenever that date is released. You know, so that, that's hugely encouraging. So in terms of consumer confidence, then, then yes, you know, it's, it's outdoors. There's festivals taking place this year. There's the Gisborne Park Festival, um, which is a hugely interesting case study, which is the first socially distanced festival that's happening. And they've got like little pods where people can dance for up to six people in their bubbles. Interesting to see how that how that goes or that doesn't go. There's the drive-in stuff that's happening with quite disastrous effects in America with the chain smokers um, had a, a big event at the Hamptons. Um, they couldn't really police people staying in their cars and it didn't work awfully well. So we're, you know, at an experimental time, but yes, fans are committed, um, communities are loyal. It's a constantly evolving piece, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Um, I think we're almost out of time. I I could talk all day about this, but I think I'll just ask you one final question. Um, What would you say to anyone working in live music who's listening to this podcast um, that would like to get more involved in steering the future of their industry like like you both have. Is there any advice that you would give to them, Bernie? Oh, I don't know. They know their skills probably better than I do. So I don't, I, I, I don't know what advice I can give. I mean, in terms of what we've done with the Rehearsal and Recording Studios Association, I think galvanising, strategising and getting together, forming associations and forming groups. Like I said earlier, the lobbying power and having a seat at the table that, for example, MVT, I keep coming back to that, but MVT and, and, and there's others, you know, the Association of Independent Festivals, the Association of Independent Music, the Association of Independent Promoters, they've all had seats at various tables. And I know that Lucy and I are quite lucky to, to sort of be feeding into steering groups and stuff, and obviously with the Cardiff Music Board. But um, in terms of the people that run those businesses and work for those businesses, forming their own groups now's the time to do it and I think um, because it can feel very lonely at the beginning of this when that that day that we announced we were closing 
it was an incredibly lonely point and, and it was a very dark tunnel and, and, and it seemed pretty bleak. And then when you start to make those connections, even though things may not have improved, you might not have opened and you might not be back at work if you're, if you're a freelancer. But um, it, now's the time to galvanise that together and get, try and get a seat at the table and get the voice heard. And we make events, let the music play, the red alert. All of those things are great steps in trying to get heard. Uh, and all I would, I guess, encourage at least at this exact point in time is to turn that into something really tangible, not just for now, but, but that will take you forward for the future if there's another crisis, you know. Um, so that, that, that would be the only thing I would say is you use, that, use the time if you can, as, as hard as it might seem. I think that's, yeah, fantastic advice. Thanks. What about you, Lucy? Anything to say to our listeners? Well, I think that was really comprehensive advice. Um, yeah, use your voice. There's a very passionate, committed, active community locally and, and nationally. So get informed, use your voice. Fab. Thank you to both of you uh, for, for coming along today, for talking to us about the, the challenges and the opportunities. It was really illuminating to hear. We'll put lots of links into the show notes of all of the reports that we've referenced and all of the campaigns that we've talked about. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed, please rate and review. It'll help other creatives to find our podcast. We always want to know what you think, so do be sure to tag at Creative Cardiff in any comments on social media. Get a Proper Job is made by Creative Cardiff with and for the creative community. I've got a proper job.